This is the What Matters Most podcast. A 100% listener-supported program. And now, here is your host, Paul Samuel Dolman. Welcome back to What Matters Most. Thanks for tuning in. I love the audience. I love the notes. Keep sending emails. I read and respond to everyone. Appreciate the audience, our community, our tribe around the world. Isn't that a beautiful thing in this time and place? Have a treat for you. You know I love poetry and writing, so I have a mystical poet on today who's written four books, and I've already just totally connected with her. She's amazing. Her writing is just, it's really inspired. I highly recommend her work. It's an honor to welcome to the family for the first time, Miss Shalan Harkin. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Paul. It's a, a true joy and pleasure to be hanging out with you today. Were you always writing, even as a young child? Did you have a journal? Were you walking around keeping notes, or did that come later? Oh, what a good question. Um, uh, I, I was always creating as a child in some way, shape, or form, and I was always imagining and very much in those realms. And then um, my mom also uh, would would ask before bed every night if I had any, if I had any prayers I wanted to say, and I would just go for it with the prayers. And sometimes she would write, write those down. And they, those are, I, she sent me some of those from when I was quite young, like maybe three. So, and those (laughs) it's, it's fun to see a seed of, um, of, of, you know, of all of that, um, from back way back in the day, <clears throat> that kind of style and relationship with things. When did you give yourself permission to really dive in and be a published person? Oh, good question. Um, just two years ago in 2020. Yeah, after a really uh, long stretch of poetry being really um, just such a primary uh, piece in my life and in really my my spiritual relationship with the world and really just a core part of my life and heart. It, it took me a really long time though, to, to gather confidence to, to publish. Was that hard? Because a lot of people won't give themselves permission to let the inner artist out. Yeah. So I had a a really incredible um, breakthrough with, with my writing process and my relationship to um yeah, the poetic process at, when I was 21. And um, a series of things happened. I can share them with you at some point if you'd like. Um, but essentially what happened then was uh, just a, a real cracking open, sort of carving, carving open experience where poetry just began to flow. And it was as though the poem had already been written and just was pouring itself through me. And um that was really, it was such a wild uh, moment. I'll never, it was just stunning the first time that happened. And I had a, a really profound trust and confidence in the process and in, in what was coming through. I just, there was, it was uh, categorically different than anything I'd ever experienced before in that way. And um, I'd been really sh- insecure and, and or self-conscious about sharing my work before that. And 
all of a sudden it was just so I was so clear, clear about it, but, but still, yeah, putting it out in the world and the big, in a bigger way. And, um, well, I had on, on a personal level, so much trust in it. I, I had a lot of, I had a really a mountain of fear about the way other people would relate to it. Cause it was so precious to me that I, wanted. yeah. So it was a journey and a half to get to the point of, of publishing. Can you describe what that feels like? I'm sure it's beyond words, but I remember I met the creator of Les Miserables, the French guy, Alan Bluebeal, and this is a long time ago, and he felt like the stuff was coming through him too. And even Paul McCartney's talked about how certain songs come through, John Lennon, artists throughout time, it's tapping in. Can you describe it, even though it's hard? Yeah, absolutely. Well, can I... uh... Uh, I'd love to describe a little bit about the, the 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 couple of things that helped that crack open for me, or just these. Does that sound good, Paul? Well, cool. So I um, I grew up in the in the Baha'i faith. Have you heard of that? Oh yeah, and I've had been to the rituals and experienced it, and the universal love and the unity. I really connected to it. Like, there's no one way. It's all beautiful, credible. Cool. Yeah. So I grew up in the Baha'i faith and and there's a lot. Yeah. Like you said, there's a lot that's really, really beautiful about the Baha'i faith, but it's, it's still a lot of, you know, the Baha'i culture or a lot of the Baha'is in the U S come from Christian backgrounds and have some, you know, old ideas about things. And, and it, it, anyway, there's, they're just like in every path. I think there's, um, uh, some just, uh, let's see, what's the, just some healthy like deconstruction or questioning or ways to relate to it that can be, you know, support people's wholeness more <laughs> and help. And so that's true too with the Baha'i community. And so I, I just had, I had a complicated relationship with, with it. I loved it and I felt complicated about it and I felt shame about it because it was unusual and all of these things. And I, what I really wanted was uh, a relationship with, with God or with, you know, yeah, with God that felt, um, that was more of an experiential sort of thing where it wasn't just conceptual or it's something I could really feel and experience and trust in that deep way and lean on um, to help me just really get by and through my struggles and whatnot. And I went, I went on this Baha'i pilgrimage. I was 21 and um, to Israel, there's the Holy Baha'i Holy land is there. And on the last day, we went to um, Baha'u'llah's prison cell. Um, Baha'u'llah was the founder of the Baha'i faith. And and I, yeah, so we went into this prison cell and I had this coolest experience that I, I it was so strange. Um, this group of maybe 30 people and I went into this small prison cell and I closed my eyes for what felt like just a matter of seconds and and opened them and everyone had left the cell and the door was closed and I hadn't heard any, you know, any commotion or anything. I don't know. I, I don't know um, how to explain that, but anyhow, it was this strange moment. I was alone in this prison cell (laughs) and, um, and with really the sort of prayer in my heart that was just filling my being every day was just how to have an authentic connection with myself, with others, with God, and how to express myself in a way that reflected that. And, and I, it was as though I was a really profound mystical moment. I just, it was as though all of a sudden every cell, it wasn't as though I heard a voice exactly, but it was as though every cell was ringing with 
um, this very clear message that was clearer than a voice, which said, uh, let us dance. <clears throat> yeah, and it and it just had this sort of authoritative quality to it that I could and and uh, as poetry works, you know, there's so much embedded in poetry. It's um, there's so much inner messaging and it has this powerful unlocking quality. And so what that communicated to me, that short phrase, let us dance, was just let be be whole, be come come at this relationship with with God, with yourself, with everything, just in an alive and true and authentic way and let it be a stumble and a whirl with the beloved and it's all good essentially and anyway in that moment too i knew that i would one day have a book of poetry called let us dance the stumble and whirl with the beloved which i now do and it was just this wild unlocking moment sorry the story gets i get a little bit long-winded with my my interview like i i don't usually give short answers <laughs> hope that's okay well, then you're perfect for the show the whole show is long-winded oh perfect Perfect. go as long and as windy as you want that's what it's all about it's not a soundbite experience go go long that's what i'm talking about thank you for that permission so anyway that was a really profound moment i had a, a major cathartic experience too and then followed by just this it, uh, just, I don't know, a feeling of real mm, ecstatic connection flowing through me. And then um, a week a week after coming home from that strange experience, um, I, I felt a really powerful nudge to uh, conduct an experiment on myself. And it was to just allow allow myself to write what I called a bad poem every day for a month. And I would give myself an hour to do that and then i would just share whatever bad you know unimpressive poem came through me i committed to share it and i knew i knew i needed to do something i was very stuck in a perfectionist place and a, a fearful place about expression so i knew i just needed to sort of dislodge that somehow so giving myself permission to just allow my poems to suck you know was my uh, uh, something i thought i'd try and um yeah. And so on the second day of that experiment is when is when this huge breakthrough happened. And it just it what it felt like um, and it still feels like it was um, kind of an energetic unlocking, um, an unlocking of resistance, kind of all just energy points in, in my body, just opening and um, and allowing and just this. Um, uh, it, I describe it too as there's sort of an urgency to it as though kind of like um, if you have to pee and you don't, you know, it's, it gets progressively more uncomfortable. So there's that feeling too, like it, the, it ha I have to, I have to write or else it feels quite uncomfortable. And it just, there's just an interesting um, alignment uh, to the words that come through when, when that space is opened. That's beautiful. Yeah. Keep going. Oh, can I share the poem that came through on that day? That would be actually a perfect, perfect sequidor. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. That that kind of uh, gives a taste for um, for what happened, and it just and it didn't need any editing too, which was wild for me. I mean, I before this, I'd spent months editing my poetry and very fastidiously with tense shoulders and a furrowed brow, and like this was just like a freaking dance, and then I, without anyway. So, yeah, so this one is called Say Wow. 
Each day before our surroundings become flat with familiarity and the shapes of our lives click into place, dimensionless and average as Tetris cubes. Before hunger knocks from our bellies like a cantankerous old man and the duties of the day stack up like dishes and the architecture of our basic needs commissions all thought to construct the four-door sedan of safety. Before gravity clings to our skin like a cumbersome parasite and the colored dust of dreams sweeps itself obscure in the vacuum of reason. Each morning before we wrestle the world and our heart into the shape of our brain, look around and say, wow. Feed yourself fire. Scoop up the day entire like a planet-sized bouquet of marvel sent by the universe directly into your arms and say, wow. Break yourself down into the basic components of primitive awe and let the crescendo of each moment carbonate every capillary and say, wow. Yes, before our poems become calloused with revision, let them shriek off the page of spontaneity. And before our metaphors get too regular, let the sun stay a conflagration of homing pigeons that fights through fire each day to find us. Bravo, bravo. And that captures it. And that's, that's what poetry can do. It can kind of, for a moment, put us in touch and get its arms barely around the ineffable, like a breeze coming through us. Paul, you said it. Exactly. Yep. Can any of us get in touch with our version of that if we're willing to dive in, to be still, to go into different cells, literally or figuratively, metaphorically, and get silent and tune in? I don't think the universe plays favorites. I feel like it's a frequency that's there lovingly in infinite abundance for all of us. I say this because I tap in and I know I'm not special. I'm just a part of it. Good. You know what? We are touching on something so important that, yes... That there isn't, it's it's so not a special favoritism thing. These sorts of moments. I mean, I I think in some ways I felt like the forces of the universe just threw me a bone because I was actually just in I was in a place of acute, really acute despair at the time. So maybe sometimes there's like a little bit of extra uh, boost that's needed for folks like me <laughs> who really just needed extra help. <laughs> but um. I don't I so I think I think that was a really urgent like a really profound need in my heart and I think that that can make a difference you know what I mean like really really so calling out in a way for some kind of um connection or or breakthrough or touch into the authentic or whatever it is we need and I think extreme suffering can get us to that point of just like <laughs> um really just focusing on on um i don't maybe it just makes makes a more um a little bit more the the resonance of even our unspoken prayers within us maybe it makes those a little louder or something you know and then maybe the forces answer that but i agree that there's it's not about being any any sort of favoritism or special thing like that but i yeah um does that did, did that make sense what i just said 
Yeah, but I do think that that this 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 level, this dimension, whatever you want to call it, is completely accessible for all. Yeah, for all who desire it. And I I think it's, but it I I do think it involves encountering pain usually, because um, ha. Huh. There's a lot of identity structures, I think, that need to be broken through to to touch into that. And, and I, I usually I think people aren't too tempted um, to go there unless unless there's uh, unless those structures are just really failing them, kind of. And for you personally, why do you feel art and poetry is such an important part of the holistic human experience? Oh gosh, awesome question. I love that poetry um, can reach people uh, on a very deep level um, and kind of deliver a, both a state kind of, of of experience can be, I think, transferred and also a message um, without without uh, triggering walls uh, uh, to come up or polarity or opinionated defense or things like that. So I think it's a really incredible um, medium for creating change and affirming the things that we want to affirm and um, and envisioning uh, the the world and the, that we want to live in and um, and that there's just, it's sort of just sneaky. It's a sneaky way of delivering that to people that people are just more receptive to, and so it it has a more of an impact on people and um and maybe plants more of a, a seed of possibility kind of in a deeper part of them uh <laughs> yeah and then also i'll say this so the my first encounter with um hafez poetry who hafez um you're familiar with hafez paul one of my favorites he and rumi oh yeah, awesome. Yay. Um, so I, I first encountered Hafez when I was 17 in a therapy session. And um, I just hadn't been having very much um, success, I guess, with therapy. Just it wasn't really working for me. Nothing was really I would get there and I would talk for an hour, but I would just sort of talk in you know, I wasn't making any progress. And um, but then one day my therapist um and I'd been seeing him for maybe over a year or something. <laughs> and um, one day he wisely thought to read me a Hafez poem. And it was short, just a short little poem. But just in the span of maybe like 45 seconds while he was reading it to me, it it just incredibly disarmed my heart. And, and I made contact again with a part of me that felt um, alive uh, for the first time in, in so long. And it felt like a freaking miracle. Um, so that's an incredibly powerful uh, potential within art and poetry, I think, is to have that effect, which there's there's a lot to explore there. Wow. I mean, were you alive back then? It sounds like you were in Persia, somewhere in the Middle East, roaming around being, you know, the basically the, uh, the creator, the the poet laureate or whatever it was called back then or in a cave writing or painting on a wall. So it just sounds like you're getting triggered a lot by these, these ancient spirits. Yeah, I know. It's interesting, huh? 
You need to do a past life regression or something. Like that that'd be interesting. I did work as a hypnotherapist for 10 years. <laughs> I didn't do too much past life regression though, but yeah. No, it, it, it's interesting. Yeah, I it's just interesting, isn't it? The different our different paths in life and the things that speak to us and the things that find us. It's so wild and I I don't know, it's so cool. It's so fascinating. I mean, sometimes I'm surprised that I'm a poet, you know, that I'm drawn to this. It's 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 amusing almost these um these things that are planted in us almost to light to light us up and these these gifts and it's there's a mysterious really mysterious quality to all of it. I love how you put that. It is like act, there are different seeds that we can activate either through higher vibration or lower that they're there, like they're implants. And of course you have a linear life too. You're a mom. How do you balance both the poet, the poetress, the mother, you know, so you have a lot of contrast there and grounding. So much contrast, Paul. Thanks for picking up. This is an area I like to be really truthful about. <laughs> I mean, I like to be, I try to be really truthful about all areas. I, I've been lying since now, but now we get to the truthful part of the podcast. So you all folks lean in and listen up. <laughs> I guess what I mean is I just think, I think it's fun. It's, or I think it's important to advocate or just be a voice uh, to normalize this. Um, I really, ah, God, you know, I love my kids, of course, but I, I really don't like the role of, of motherhood is the truth, Paul. It's hard for me. It's hard. It's draining. It doesn't fill me up. <laughs> and it's tough. It's tough. It's there's I feel tension in it. And I, I'm a you know, I think most people would think I was a pretty good mom or whatever. But I it's it's hard. And the truth is, I my heart is. Uh, my heart is with writing and I just, it's, it feels like such a calling and there's so much drive there. And it's, um, and also because I make my own schedule and whatnot, it's, it's a, it's a constant, um, a tricky thing is the, the, the cold, cold, hard truth to, um, uh, th there's an element of, you know, when I had kids, it was, it was coming from a place of, um, there was some community, it was a high community value and the Baha'i faith and my you know, my family of origin. And there was some of that motivation really. And so it's been a journey of, of course, I'm, I'm dedicated to my kids, <laughs> but uh, it's a lot, you know, I mean, there's just so much to steward. Do you, do you have kids, Paul? I do not. Cause I love children, but I didn't feel I was cut out for it for more than like a couple hours. And then I would stagger home and fall asleep for a couple hours or, Okay, that's enough to to train. I need, you know, to have something different. And I love children. And there are, I got to be honest, since you're being so honest, too. There are times I kind of wondered about it, what it would have been like. And now that I'm older, I wish, oh, I could have done it. And then as soon as I hear of some disaster story, the teenager or something or the rehab, I'm like, oh, my God, did I dodge a bullet? But it's very complex. Like, uh, I've met children that if I could pick like, okay, that'll be my daughter or my son, I would have done it. Like, wow, outgoing, extraordinary, precocious, old soul. Sure. Come on. It'd be, you know, hopefully it won't end up like the movie Paper Moon where you're driving around trying to sell fake Bibles. But, you know, that it's very mixed. And I've got to tell you and, and sort of uh, to back you up here, 
I have a lot of moms who are as honest as you are, that it's just brutal and hard. And while they have to do the disclaimer that they love their child or their kids, because they really do, they really do, but they just feel run over. They don't have any sleep. They feel like they have vanished and disappeared. They don't even know who they are. Trying to get a shower is next to impossible, let alone a bath. And it's hard, you know, and you're not appreciated. I still give thanks for my mom almost today, all the time. I mean, because sadly, you don't have the perspective till you get older, what an enormous sacrifice it is. So I appreciate you being real about it. Oh, thank you, Paul. Yeah, yeah, you said it It, it in so many ways. It, it is. It's a, just a huge thing. It, it is. It's a and it's complex and it's it's hard. But um, <laughs> it's a, it's a deepener. It, it, it is definitely I would call it accelerated growth, though, because, you know, I um, we're it's it's so humbling. There are such mirrors. And, you know, I don't know. I thought I would be. a. I think a lot of moms are perfect moms before we have kids, you know, and then, and then it's just, we, you want, you want to be your best self in the, in the sphere of parenting. And then, and then it is the most humbling terrain because it's just so nonstop. And so, and so there's no choice, or I guess there's choice, but it, to, to just really have to go into so many, so many things in so many ways. And, um, so there's, there's, I'm, I'm genuinely deeply grateful for the influence of, 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 of that they're so cute man and i see them and they're certain sizes and everything they're just oh my god and beautiful in the little outfits and then of course as the outsider when i see the meltdown to me it's hysterical but the poor parent looks like you know they're on the baton death march they just have run out of all patience <laughs> totally and sometimes you're resourced in that moment and you're like with them and so, and then other times you're just like fuck can you just can we just put work in it this is the 10th meltdown of the day come on you had two ice cream cones you can't have a third get in your cage exactly yeah oh man yeah 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 so it's an it's such an interesting such an interesting it's such an interesting journey do you wonder about the future world they'll grow up in? I mean, climate change is like happening in real time right now. We're watching it everywhere. You know, there are people that believe in magical thinking or denial or work for an oil company, all three. But but I mean, I I'm older, so I feel like, oh wow, I had a great run, but this is this is ominous. I'm not afraid to die in any way. But if I had a child, I've thought of that too. If I had young kids right now or even teenagers or twenties. I would really be concerned about the world they're inheriting on a lot of levels. Do you have those kind of thoughts and feelings when you ponder? Good question. I, um, I, I don't think it's coming from a place of denial, but I don't, I don't dwell too much in, in worry about that for some reason. And I, I think part of, part of it is I just, um, well, I don't tolerate worry very well, I think. So if I feel worried, I, I kind of just need to go into that and and work, kind of explore what's going on for me and, and move try to move through it. And, and I, so I, I don't know. There's some level, not that I feel at peace in that things are going to be fine, but I think it's more just um, feeling like, oh, investing in worry isn't going to help anything. Um and so I don't know. And I, I think I channel a lot of, of, of my energy just into, 
into poetry, into encouraging new relationship with things um, that that hopefully, I, I don't know. I, I feel, um, I guess I, I don't, I don't worry too much for some reason on their, on their, on their behalf. And uh, I don't know, that's an interesting question. And I'm kind of surprised at my, my response actually. Um, Cause yeah, there's a lot, this is such a crazy turning point time, isn't it? I mean, every single way. Um, I'm so, I'm, I don't know, curious. That almost sounds like I'm, but I genuinely am curious about what's coming and, and how, and, and its impact on just how people will respond to it and what type of, um, uh, I don't know. I do have a strange, like dogged optimism, actually. I don't know about trans people being able to transform when suffering gets gets too high but I don't know I'm rambling right now it's a, it's a good question well it's yeah because it's hard to it's not an exact science and I'm curious too I feel like I've plopped here in the middle of the Milky Way or somewhere on the outskirts and I'm watching something fascinating unfold and on the flip side when we're talking about children how do we they have that beautiful childlike wonder how do we hold on to that or even recapture that or ignite it within us, that eternal childlike quality in essence that writes poetry and thinks the hummingbird's amazing and catches the light through the window. How do do you have any observations on that? Yeah, I do. Thanks for asking. Um, so, well, I would say, um, yeah, I, I get people ask a lot about, um, my uh, writing practice, maybe if I have like a rhythm to it or a, and I really don't, um, I don't sit down every day to write or anything like that. But what I, what I do um, um, is just really, uh, I, I, I spend a lot, I, my primary practice really is um, keeping, I, I feel that that's our, really our natural state actually is that state of connection and wonder. And that uh, if we're not, connected with that that there um there's something there's a there's something in kind of in the way or something to look at something that and um so I do a lot of that and and I as a just I'm a very very sensitive person and so if there's if I'm not feel if I'm feeling separated if I'm not feeling yeah connected to that to some degree I, I it's just more it's just really uncomfortable for me so I'm I'm drawn into it and I do a lot of um, just trying to stay with those uh, what I would call energetic or emotional blocks and and understand what they are and wh where they come from. And it's just been such a beautiful thing to see, you know, time and time and time and time again, that there's just this beautiful innocence at the root of all of that. And as I discover that, it kind of unlocks the whole thing and and clears through and then um as that moves just new understanding and insight and opening and um um connection is restored how does that, how does that land good are you an empath are you like deeply empathetic i to other people yeah i think yeah i am <laughs> i am i am and it's that's that's an interesting 
it's it's a lot it's hard it's an interesting it's a lot to navigate it's an interesting journey it's a it's a cool it's a cool way to be but it it's not always um comfortable is writing therapeutic for you writing is it's more it's more than therapeutic it is um well let's see so i as i sit i guess with these 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 spaces in me that are that you know surface that are just Mm, limitations, I would say, to connection with myself or others or the world or with inspiration, and they open. I usually have a big uh, cathartic cry, and um, but it, and it feels so good actually as that's clearing out and moving through. It feels like an experience of surrender um, and and release and letting go of old filters, seeing the world, and anyway. And then almost always right after that, a poem comes through and it's like this jewel at the bottom of this inner journey. And um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. So it's, it, it, it just feels like my soul's primary expression. It, it, it feels um, poetry. Um, it feels like ecstatic. It feels so purposeful. It feels um like it just affirms my deepest knowing it it's just very satisfying and it's it's very yeah it's it's it it the it's a experience of really pure pure and deep delight you want to read another one are you feeling anything i love your poetry please read you're a great interviewer paul this is oh thank you very much yeah, when you you know the 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 trademark of a great interviewer is when you just I feel so so at ease, you know. It's just two people having a good conversation. I'm loving this. I'm having a great conversation. Okay, so mm -mm, mm -mm. okay, well, I'll share this poem that I, I um my first book is called Susceptible to Light. Two days before I published it, this poem came through and it felt really bold for me. It was all of these assertions about God. And I hadn't really used the word God too much in my poetry before this poem. And I felt like, oh, my God, what authority do I have to say things like this? It was it was a big step. And I wasn't sure about sharing it. And um, but I did. And and it went totally viral. It was shared like 50,000 times. Yeah. Crazy. And I just, you know, at that time, didn't even think people, you know, liked poetry. <laughs> yeah. So that was nuts. That was so wild. Um, and then that's so then and then it was perfect timing. It was so, so amazing, Paul. And then people found my book. And well, uh, yeah, so um, so I'll read that one. I just feel like I always need to give homage to this one. It's been so helpful to me. It's called The Worst Thing We Ever Did. The worst thing we ever did was put God in the sky out of reach, pulling the divinity from the leaf, sifting out the holy from our bones, insisting God isn't bursting dazzlement through everything we've made a hard commitment to see as ordinary, stripping the sacred from everywhere to put in a cloud man elsewhere, prying closeness from your heart. The worst thing we ever did was take the dance and the song out of prayer, made it sit up straight and cross its legs, removed it of rejoicing, 
wiped clean its hip sway, its questions, its ecstatic yowl, its tears. The worst thing we ever did is pretend God isn't the easiest thing in this universe, available to every soul in every breath. Mm, that might be my favorite one. Oh, thanks, Paul. That's, that's yeah, <laughs> that one speaks to people. Thank you. It's everywhere, isn't it? Isn't God just in everything, everywhere, all the time? And all you have to do is just find it. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and it's been, it was so cool to, to put that out and then just see, see that response and see how much people know this already, you know, and, and, and it just, yeah. You are dancing with divinity, aren't you? <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's a stumble and a whirl. Yes. Do you want to read one more and take us out with another beauty? That's going to be tough to follow the God poem. I hate to put the pressure on you, but I just love hearing you read these poems. This is priceless private poetry reading. Of course, we have a huge worldwide audience that's listening in, so there's that. Do we? How many people? Hi, everybody, by the way. Um, how, how many people are listening to us right now? We don't know, but at times it could be a half a million people. You're kidding me. I know. I, I'm glad I told you at the end. I don't want you to be nervous now and freeze up. Are you serious, Paul? Oh, my gosh. I love that I know this. I know, in spite of the host. That is great. And whatever you make. Oh, you're this is gold. You're gold. Truly half a million. Wow. Very good. Very good. I love it. I love it. I welcome it. Wonderful. Okay. And I'm not a numbers person. I just I have people that tell me that, like my tech folks and everything. And they even go apologetically, like, look, I know you don't want to know numbers because my ego would always be, why not six hundred thousand or some stupid like that after like five minutes? So it's never happy. That's its job. You know. So, but when I was first told that. We're like, oh, wow, you're getting like a half million downloads. And I was like, whoa, whoa. And I just brushed right over me, which is my nature on something like that. Then it was like a day later, I was going to bed and I thought, what? Huh? Kind of like you just did. I was like, huh? What? Me? What? And it's really because the people that come on are so, we have such amazing guests all over the world. What a, a vast array of heart and intelligentsia. And it's, you know, it's been 10 years too now everybody has a podcast and i was gassing up the other day and the guy said hey check out my shit i've done three shows no i'm kidding but you know a thousand shows later it's not an overnight thing but it's we grew it and it's the people who listen and it's people like you so thank you rare moment of bowing wow that's so so cool is it okay with you will it work if i share this poem and then just wind it up with a a short very very cool story oh that would be perfect See, this thing is scripted by higher forces. That would be perfect. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Okay, here we go. So this is called I No Longer Pray. I no longer pray. Now I drink dark chocolate and let the moon sing to me. <laughs> I no longer pray. I let my ancestors dance through my hips at the slightest provocation. I no longer pray. I go to the river and howl my ancient pain into the current. I no longer pray. I ache, I desire, I say yes to my longing. I no longer pray as I was taught. But as the stars crawl onto my lap like soft animals at nighttime, and God tucks my hair behind my ears with the gentle fingers of her wind, and a new intimacy is uncovered in everything, 
perhaps it's that I'm finally learning how to pray. So uh, just short, shortly before uh, finally getting up the the guts to um, to publish this book, I bought a couple of Hafez books just to um, really to look at the format in, in his books, because I remember they were beautiful and I needed ideas. So I bought a couple of these books and just opened them up and just, you know, immediately felt so inspired and felt another nudge to to do an, an experiment on myself. So I just decided I was going to go on a walk every night um, leading up to the publication of my book. And I had no marketing support. I had I didn't really know anyone who had published a book and I didn't really think anyone cared about poetry very much at the time. And so I, I didn't have a lot going for me. Um, on the on the material plane but so i decided to just go on a walk every night and experiment with asking my favorite dead poet hafez for help so um so i did that and um and it was kind of this funny little awkward prayer like uh hey hafez if you're available if you have any you know resources throw them at me please um and yeah, if you have any extra inspiration, I'll take it. And anyway, so and uh, poetry started flowing through me so fast and, and furious that it became a, really a, an inconvenience almost to my life when I started doing that experiment. And it really had this strange signature of feeling very just strangely close to Hafez's work. And then uh, so I, I, I took note of that. And so then I just kept my nightly walks going and I, I my prayer changed and it said, um, okay, Hafez, um, if can I have some marketing support? If you know any, if you have any marketing, you know, exec executives in the spirit world or anyone in this world, just tap all the people that can help this book really get out there. And uh, it, you know, and I only, you know, very marginally believed that this prayer might do anything at all. But um, uh, then three weeks after I published susceptible delight i got an email in my inbox from daniel ladinsky who has done all the renderings of hafez poetry in english that have made him a, a superstar in the made daniel ladinsky's made hafez really a, a superstar in the western world and um I, he just reached out to me and said shalan this is so strange that i'm reaching out to you um I'm a reclusive poet. I don't really reach out to anyone, but I I saw your book and just felt a, a weird nudge to reach out to you. Congratulations. <laughs> and so anyway, so I just wrote back to him this wildly unfiltered email of like, oh my God, Daniel. And I just, I told him the whole story of that strange prayer experiment. And, and he said, um, he said, Shalane, okay, this is extra weird, but I've been waiting, hoping to find a young poet because I've had this idea of writing a, po a book of poetic exchanges with a young poet and and doing, um, anyway, this just sort of mentorship book of, of letters. And uh, so he said, so what do you think about wading into a book together? My And Daniel is, you know, my favorite living poet. And just, anyway, I can't even explain how surreal that moment was, Paul. And um so yeah, so he he wrote the foreword to my first book and has just been the most unbelievable resource to me. And um, I just I love sharing that story. It's just still so so surreal and so wild. Synchronicity like that, sort of like when God gets caught with fingerprints in plain sight. Yeah, you that exactly exactly. 
Exactly. Aren't those those moments are just there's there's no other way to really there's no way to 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 frame them other than other than that. It's just such a so wild like it, that, that could never be planned. That could never be scripted. Something that ah, that wild. You've been listening to the What Matters Most podcast, a 100% listener-supported program. If you feel inspired, please go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash whatmattersmost and join our family. So until the next time, stay inspired and in the light.